Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. You're listening to episode 21 of We Do Recover. I'm your host, Jared Miller. Today, I'm joined in studio by your co-host, our medical expert, Dr. Terry Sellers. Good morning, everybody. We also have in the studio the producer that makes this thing possible, Sean Denovan. What's up, guys? And our featured guest today is a lady. She's a giant in the world of recovery, Tiffany Nacarato. Good morning. This podcast like is recorded. It. Yeah, me too. Yeah. In sunny St. George, Utah, episode 21. Part one is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. If your loved one needs help, don't hesitate. Give them a call, 801-800-8142. Let's jump into this thing. Dr. Sellers, we always start with you. What's new and good? <laughs> what is new and good? You know, I, I, I shot the promo this morning, and I felt like I was a patient waiting in a doctor's office. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> Go so, ahead. Tell them so, why you feel like that. Uh well, I love you, Dr. Sellers. You're notorious for running late. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a human being in my life that could argue with that right there. <laughs> I wish that was not the case. I should still, I should continue to work on that in my life. But yes, I kind of am a, I'm a procrastinator and I push it to the last minute and I did it again this morning, walked into the studio kind of after the time when we were supposed to start recording. So, uh, I will, I'll, I'll blame my phone, but listen, I've had a million excuses over the years. There's so. the truth. It's like, we love it's, you. It's me. Absolutely. I'd love to pretend it's not, but it is. Hey, love is accepting people for how they are, right? Even oh, their, yes. their imperfections. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you for accepting me as the flawed human being that I am. <laughs> uh, Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. Let's, we do start off with kind of a new and good. What's new and good in your world? What's going on with you? Oh my gosh, I've been traveling, having fun, even during these hectic times. I'm so blessed. Um, I've been able to just be able to be at peace still right now. And it's really hard to do with all this commotion and chaos going around, but I've been able to carry that um, every day. Yeah, just last week you were like in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like people oh, people wait. will be like, why are you not wearing masks when you're doing stuff on Facebook? And I'm like, well, look at Tiffany. She's going to Texas. <laughs> Take it <laughs> easy on me. Like <laughs> what were you doing in Texas? Um, it was my dad's birthday and we went to the rodeo. Are you from Texas? No. Your dad from Texas? I want to be from Texas. You do? Why? (laughs) Why do you want to be from Texas? Uh, There's a lot of good looking cowboys out there. Oh my gosh. Let's be honest. All right. I like it. (laughs) Makes sense. Makes good sense to me. It's not really why I want to be from Texas, but it's okay. (laughs) Hey, I love Texas because football and barbecue, baby. Football and barbecue. A lot of good food. Yeah. Sean Denovan, you've been watching some football or doing any barbecue and what's new and good with you? Oh, I, I don't watch the foosball. That's not my thing. The foosball. I don't watch the foosball. A lot of food, though. Yeah. You're talking about being 20 pounds overweight. And look at you, Mr. Jim guy. Yeah, Jim. Right. You, you want to see what 40 pounds looks like? Look, look, this is 40 pounds too much right here. Yeah. No, all right. All no, right. Listen, the, here's how the conversation went. feel bad. This is new and good. Now I'm just fat and hungry. <laughs> That's new and good. Uh, yeah, fat and hungry is okay. Yeah, I like fat and hungry. I do it as, I do it as well. It's great. Have you seen Taz Decker? 
We no. brought up the whole weight cut thing now? because even dude, more that cut? guy, I didn't recognize him. This isn't he's he's lost some weight. Dude's doing some cool stuff. What? Yeah, he's cut out flour and sugar. I went to lunch with him yesterday. I can't be having that. That's my new and good. I got to go to lunch with Taz Decker. That's good. That's, that is new and yeah, good. It was fun. It was fun. If Taz is listening to this, I could use a golf game this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or do some hot yoga that I don't know, man. Probably whatever not doing, doing the hot yoga. He, whatever he's doing, he's just keep doing it. He's looking great. You know, right. you know what I've added to my diet? What's that? Flour and sugar. <laughs> extra. <laughs> I, like ex- I always ask for extra flour and sugar. <laughs> I thought you were going to say. I just eat flour out of the bag now. I thought you were going to say Dr. Pepper. Uh, no, that's that's a staple. That's <laughs> one of the four food groups for me. <laughs> nice. All day long. Yep. Nice. I'm loving it. I'm loving this. All right, Dr. Sellers. You're oh, I'm in studio. I forgot. That's we have right. different format. Holy mackerel. <laughs> Tiffany is all Hey, yours. we have a featured guest, Tiffany Nakarado. Is that how you pronounce it? Is that good? Correct. Okay. Uh, Tiffany is, uh, well, she really is kind of a giant in the world of recovery. Um, but Thank you. Tiffany, tell us about yourself. Like, really, what we want to start with is just a little introduction, who you are now, what you got going in your life, that sort of stuff. So I'm a person in long-term recovery. That's I enough. love that. And then I'm a lot more. Yeah, I um, am a mom. Sweet. And Tell us about your kids. Yeah, I have three kids. I have four, actually. I placed one for adoption okay. seven years ago, and he's still in my life, which is That's awesome. That's way cool. Awesome and just a beautiful experience. I have, but my, I have a 21-year-old... Um, 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. You do not have a 21-year-old. I do. If you're watching the <laughs> podcast on the camera, you can look at her and realize why I said that. She's like 28 herself. How could she have a 21-year-old? Oh, thank you. you. had kids when you were seven? That's amazing. I didn't know that could happen. Is, is that a medical miracle? No, let me tell you a really quick story about that. I was in St. Louis in medical school. I went to medical school in St. Louis, and I was... Um, on one of my very first rotations in the hospital. So what the medical school is, two years worth of book work. You're, all, you're in the classroom. Next two years is in the hospital doing all the different specialties and stuff. And one of my first rotations was pediatrics. And I walked into, I was in a pediatrics clinic. I walked into a clinic and this girl had her baby there for a one-month checkup, right? And I said, how's your baby? And she said, uh, well, it's not my baby. And I look at her and I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, well, it's my, it's my daughter's baby. And I'm like, how old are you? She was 19. She had a grand, she was a grandmother at the age of 19. Get out of here. She had her kid when she was 10 and her daughter couldn't bring the baby to the, and then her daughter had a kid. Her daughter couldn't bring the baby to the appointment because her daughter had to go back to fourth grade. No. I kid you not. That is, I kid you not. It was the most unbelievable thing because I led this, you know, I led this sort of sheltered, you know, kind of, let's be honest, uh, white Mormon lifestyle, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Throw it out there. It, <laughs> is, it is what it is. That's, I can't, that's how I was grew up and, and it was sheltered. It was relatively sheltered. I didn't grow up in Utah, but, um, but that was just a foreign concept to me, like a nine year old. I didn't even know nine-year-olds could have sex at that point, like, let alone why, but anyway. <laughs> so that's Tiffany. Looks like she's 19, and she's got 21-year-old. That's Not unbelie- nine. It's unbelievable. <laughs> she wasn't nine. No. No, okay. All right. All right. So uh, tell me their names. So I have Talia, Xander, Kayser, and then Camden. 
those are cool names. Those are way cool. Yeah, I wish really I was cool, cool enough names. to name my kids cool names like that. Mom, Jared? That's yeah, That's I know. the coolest you could come up Just Jared? <laughs> Terry. <laughs> Terry, which, by the way, is a girl's name, <laughs> which I grew up with all my life and rhymes with fairy. Um, oh, so you were bullied. Yes, I was. Okay. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally fine. Uh, okay, keep going. What else? You got you got four kids. One you place for adoption. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing in your life so, these days? Tell me what. Tell me about your life. I have an amazing life. I get to um, help other parents in recovery. So with my story, I. I didn't, I missed out a lot of my kids' um, younger ages, you know, and so, and I don't want other moms or dads to go through that. So I'm able to help parents that are in recovery and help them be a part of their kids' lives at a young age. Yeah, I think that's the gist of a lot of people's uh, kind of service and giving back is, listen, I made these mistakes. I don't want you to have to make them. I think that's my, that's kind of my lifetime goal in treating people with addiction too, is how can we get those people to not have to make all the mistakes again? It's hard. Like the truth is people have to make their mistakes sometimes, but it's, it's nice to try to help people not make the same mistakes you did. Yeah. That's why I go around and talk as much as I can and share my story. How do you do that? Tell me like what that capacity is. Well, I mean, it can be something as small as a one-on-one coaching session that I'm doing or to at a treatment center or something like this, you know, it's just. How do you do that? Uh, my question is, oh, oh. well, yeah, what if, what if somebody wanted to do that? Like, what are you, what are you affiliated with that allows you to do that? Okay. Um, well, I'm involved with you, Sarah. Right. I work at you, Sarah. I knew this. I was trying to get there. <laughs> <laughs> he was baiting you. He yeah. Was, no, I want, you to, I want you to tell yeah. the audience, not me. Hey, she works at you, Sarah. Yeah, I work at you, Sarah, yeah. as a recovery coach. Okay, tell us what you, Sarah, is. We, for those that don't know. Yeah, we're a nonprofit, um, not clinical. Everybody that works there, we are in recovery. We get training. We're certified peer support specialists. And my role there is a long term coach which means that I meet with people weekly or whatever um, they like to, when they like to meet, but we set up goals, recovery management plans. I give a lot of support. The support can run from, I just helped a girl, um, she placed her baby for adoption. So that was amazing, oh, I'd be a part yeah. of that. Um, I supported her during her whole pregnancy and then after when she signed the papers. And um, I also involved in, Family Recovery Corps at USERA. I get to go in and sit in on staffing and um, and then attend people's court cases when they have their kids involved at DCFS. So, yeah. That's cool. Uh-huh. That's- you know, I think it's so awesome that, especially like you, Tiffany, you went through something like that yourself, right? And now you're on the other side of that. People can come to you. They they can relate, they can feel comfortable, right? It's not always easy for us to go to somebody else and share our dirt and the things that we've gone through. But when you know that other person has empathy and and understanding because they've actually gone through it themselves, that's amazing. I'm sure you're extremely impactful in those people's lives. Like, yeah, that's way cool. And they're impactful on my life. It helps me heal, so. For sure. Sorry, got a little something in my throat. I- uh, Dr. Pepper right there. Yeah, I, know I should take a swig, but I'm about to talk, so I didn't want to take a big swig. Um, yeah, I think that's super helpful. Like, 
uh, I think that's part of our duty as we get clean and sober is to give back and to and to be there for other people. And it's particularly impactful when you can say to them, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I gave up a baby for adoption. And then you can be who you are today living this life of, uh, I live an amazing life. That's a quote from you about four minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Yeah, and I think if you can do that and show somebody who's about to give up their baby for adoption who might think the world is ending, who thinks it's the worst thing ever, and then look at somebody who's done that who can have a big smile on their face and say, I have an amazing life, is really impactful. I think that a lot lot of people in recovery wind up kind of heading that direction of, uh, and I think it's a duty to kind of stand up and say, look, this you can do this and it's okay and life can be good again. Yeah, we can still be happy through all of our mistakes or lessons. Yeah. Most people that come to treatment have lost most of their hope at that point in their life. And if they can just find somebody that says, Hey, listen, I can help you through this and you're going to be okay on the other side. So thanks for doing that. That's so amazing. We have a mutual friend. Of course, I got clean at A and D psychotherapy in Sandy, Utah. And my therapist was, I had a couple, but one of them was Mary Jo. Oh, I love Mary Jo. Uh, I'm so, I'm, listen, I don't think I'm alive to die today without Mary Jo. She's, she's amazing. She really helps me a lot. And, um, so yeah, I'm grateful to her. I don't know. She probably doesn't have enough time to listen to this podcast of this dog and pony <laughs> show that we throw together over here. Tell us what, uh, what is it? What are we doing today, Jared? Oh man, uh, we were talking about, we we're joking about changing the intro to, um, a bunch of dorks talking about recovery or a bunch of, yeah. What did yeah. you say? It was something like yeah, that, like, but it like, wasn't like, quite that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of morons talking about recovery yeah, or something yeah, weird like that. That's what we're doing. Do you That's care? what we're here doing. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in. I'm yeah. going to go for the, go kill. To the story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please Tiffany. do. Cause I'm wandering around. <laughs> you're totally, you're, you're great. <laughs> Save me. I'm drowning. We're, we're yeah. Okay. Tiffany. Mm-hmm. So obviously you've shared that you're in recovery. You've shared yes. some things you've gone through. Where did that begin though? Like what led into your addiction? So I think that well, I know when I was younger, I was constantly trying to fill a void. And I remember this at a young age, three, four years old. Um, no, my substance use did not start then, but I know that that's what that's, the beginning of it, where I looked outside myself for happiness and was trying to belong. Um, at age Whoa. three and four, I Whoa. remember trying to this. fit in at age three. Mm-hmm. Wow! And you know, um, my parents did the best that they can, but I came from a divorced family, mm. which a lot of us do, mm. and um, and just trying to please both parents and going back and forth. And I had a lot of love and support that I just felt like I needed to keep, keep up with them and, and make them proud of me. And I, you know, and I fall into that still today and it's, Mm. but at least I can recognize it, what it is. But yeah, so at a young age, um, and just trying to fit in and feel this love, which I had love, but just, it's a weird, um, it's weird to describe it, but I do remember age three or four doing that. And then, you know, going through teenage years, I would dabble and, um, but I was always able to be the good kid, hold it together. I was a good student. Um, I, my family didn't even know that I was doing anything like that. Where'd you grow up? Where was this? Um, 
at that time I was in Murray. Okay. So it kind of was all over Salt Lake. Okay. But yeah. So your your outside projection was I'm good. I've got everything together, calm, cool, collected. But on the inside, you had like this void. Yeah, almost this bottomless pit of needing to feel like you know love, acceptance, part of something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. do, do am I am I getting this right? Exactly okay. right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I never just felt okay in my skin. Okay, so you're dabbling through teen years. Mm-hmm. And lead us to when it became a problem. So not until I was 24. Okay. And what happened was I was in this incredible relationship and at that time I was a single mom and then got into this relationship and he ended up being my husband later on. But I was so infatuated in love and put everything into him. And when that fell apart, I, the, I did not know what to do, but go use. Yeah. Which is weird because I did not have any of that. You know, I didn't do that for years and years when things went wrong. But for some reason, when I put all of my time and energy into somebody else and not myself. And so when that fell, that I just had to cover up that pain. And I always say that was the very first time my heart broke. Um, I've had my heart broken many times, but three major times that are, you know, um, in my life that has sent me over the edge. And that was one of them. That was the very first one. So I started using daily and, you know, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I don't always share a ton on here, especially, you know, with multiple personalities, but I, it's interesting how you could identify. Wait, you have multiple personalities? With, with multiple personalities on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, uh, uh, I find it interesting. That was, you look at 24 and you, you were faced with something that you felt even back when you were three, right? The loss of love, the loss of connection. So I'm a big dork. I read books. And if you, if you're familiar with the color code, mm -hmm. Tiffany is totally a blue. She's I a blue. Am. She, she is a, yes, that I bet blue is your color code. Have okay. you taken the test? No. You have to though. You totally should. <laughs> so the thing that's really cool about blue personalities is relationships mean a lot to them. Connection means a lot to them. Um, what's it called when you get like a, somebody, you can tell somebody appreciates you. Oh man, I'm having, this happens to me really? on every podcast. I, I don't know where you're headed. I'm sorry. Where, where people like, you can tell people appreciate you and, and, um, it matters to me. Yeah. yeah to feel yeah. appreciated. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's cool. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. And you. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so, so, what okay. Was, so I, listen, I want to point out one thing she said, cause I, I love it when we get little tidbits on this podcast that are really, really cool moments. And to me, when you said I put all of that time and energy into my relationship and not really into me, uh, I think that's an interesting insight, like a great insight and a great moment for people. If you devote your entire life to one thing, those things, there's very little in our life that is permanent. Those yeah. things can be temporary. And when they go away and you haven't put any work into yourself, you're left with a void again, right? Mm -hmm. And we all know how in our lives, how we fill those voids. And for those of us that have struggled with addiction, we fill them with drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so the relationship breaks up. What, what happens, drugs and alcohol? So we didn't break up. Oh, just wait a failing. second, or wait a second. Uh -huh. Whoa. If you were paying attention, Newsflash, at the I, was not I said apparently. I ended up marrying him. I heard that. <laughs> I did hear that. 
But I thought he had gone away and you were left with the void, but he's not gone away. No. Thanks okay. for keeping us straight. So Got it. So help me with that. Where are we? So we were still together. Okay. And I ended up, you know, bringing um, drugs home. And I was like, oh, well, let's get you addicted. I know, really bad. And so then he got in the spiral with me. It's, a, it's oh, not, it's not it uncommon. Good. Listen, it's common to, hey, I've got this thing in my life that fills my void. Maybe it'll fill your void. Like, that's not that uncommon. Don't feel my bad about it. My thinking was, you hurt me so bad, let's hurt you. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I can play Don't dirty. hurt Tiffany. <laughs> Don't hurt <laughs> Do me. Do not hurt Tiffany. Won't go won't well. All right, so, so you brought drugs home. Yeah, and then we both just went on um, a spiral, losing our, you know, our jobs and our careers. And at that time, I had my um, one child, and and then I ended up getting pregnant. And I sobered up. So, nice. and so I left him. This is a short breakup. I left him and had my two children. And then he ended up getting sober when we got back together. But again, here I, I am again I, in the same spot, putting sure. my eggs in, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, investing all of your emotional he's, in, into yeah, this Yeah, but he's an amazing guy, right? Yeah, well, he's amazing. He's a good guy. He was, he was an impossible situation. Yeah. He was at the time, right? You thought so. Yeah. That's why you got back together with him. Yeah. At, at one point, you thought he was an amazing guy. Well, for I wanted sure. that family that I never had growing yeah. up. Oh, and so I is. wanted it to work so bad. You know? You've done some work on this, haven't you? Yes. You, like, there it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've done a lot of work on this, obviously. But I that's cool. It. Okay, so you get back together. So we get back together. I was, you know, on the PTA my kids were involved in everything. We have another baby, but I still was feeling that emptiness because my kids and him were my entire life. Yeah. And I, again, wasn't putting work into myself. And so it just started, you know, it just, I, it was failing still and I didn't know what to do. And I went and searched for a substance again and I ended up leaving my kids. This is my face down moment. I remember leaving my two little ones, um, the oldest was in school, but holding on to my legs, screaming and walking out the door um, to go live with the dope man on the street. And I can picture that today and it's mm. emotional. Yeah. Is yeah. that it? Is that that pit of the stomach moment for you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. rough. Cause that's what, that day I gave up my, all my dreams. Cause ever since I was a little girl, all I wanted to be was the best mom I could be and a good wife. And that day, I definitely was walking out the door on that. Mm -hmm. Thank All you right. for sh what? being vulnerable and sharing that. Yeah, that's what dr awesome. what drugs were, what drugs were happening at that point in your life? Um, meth and heroin. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And it's good to for relatability to bring up the drugs, right? So if somebody who's struggling with that substance hears that, they can relate to your story. But the one thing I'm getting. A takeaway from all these podcasts and the more I'm involved in this industry is it doesn't really matter the substance, right? No question. Addiction is addiction. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Would you say that, would you say that was your rock bottom or did it get deeper? So I really believe when you bring up a rock bottom, I believe that my rock bottom was death, but I stopped it before I got there because you think that, cause that was a big um, part of my story, you know, leaving my kids and, and it hurt really bad, but obviously it didn't stop. It didn't. So I think I would have kept going. And you know what? And I told you on the way in here, I OD 12 times. I meant to most of the time. 12? 12, 12 times. Times. 
Apparently, it's a you're miracle. supposed to be here. I'm, yeah. yeah. It's a miracle that she's here. No question. But it's because I kept trying to die and I wasn't dying. And so I had no choice you but to live. You suck at dying. I did. <laughs> Believe me, I have a hundred lives. <laughs> You're better than a cat. So that's cool. I think we just came up with. You the, suck at dying. The tag for, yeah. for this episode. <laughs> suck yeah. at dying. It's awesome. Okay. We're about out of time in this segment. But um, when we come back from the break, we got to keep moving on towards recovery. But. And I'm. Uh, yeah. I like the. This has been awesome because a big part of her life is the bounce back. So yeah. I'm excited for part yeah, two for sure. her life in recovery today. For sure. So you guys have been listening to We Do Recover. This is episode 21. Today we're joined by Tiffany. Help me with the last name. Nakarado. Nakarado. Everybody that knows me knows I'm terrible at <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean that you should have helped him with your name. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure to join us in part two for her uh, bounce back from her rock bottom. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. This is episode 21 of We Do Recover. Today we have Tiffany Nacarado. Nacarado. My man. See why he's my co-host? <laughs> listen, Join listen Jared makes fun of me for being late. We all have our little quirks. Jared is not great with names. <laughs> yes, that is that is true. So this episode is uh, episode 21 part two is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, go to Google, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. They have amazing amenities. Great place. Yep. You stay there every time uh, you come down. And I love it. We love, yeah. I love it. They're good to me and I love it. It's a great place. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we learned in part one that Tiffany sucks at dying. Yeah. I just want to point <laughs> that that's crazy to me because I've overdosed twice, once accidentally and once very much on purpose. And that's part of my story, but 12 times. Mm -hmm. That's, that's crazy. That, yeah. I, I like the persistence though. <laughs> at least you kept trying, uh, right? A lot of, a lot of us mess something <laughs> up and we'd say, Oh, I'm not good at that. Well, she's a persistent. At I got, it. I got I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying to kill myself. Yeah. I got to ask because it's, it's on my mind. My buddy John Gossett with Life's Worth Living Foundation just did like a gala to raise some money around the holidays. Were any of those 12, and you don't have to answer this, but were any of those 12 on purpose? Like were Yeah, any of, absolutely. John mm -hmm. Gossett, guest right here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> cool. Yeah, you go. She's going to be a podcast pro at the end of this yeah. whole thing. All right, so let's keep going because we got a lot of story, obviously. Okay. Um, when we left off, you were, you know, you had... Uh, 
left your house, your kids are grabbing onto your leg and you have left and you're living on the street or something mm-hmm. with your dealer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell us, take us from there. Yeah. So living on the street for six years mm. and I'm so blessed that my ex-husband let me see my kids still and be a part of their lives, mm. even though maybe sometimes I shouldn't have, you know, yeah. um, I'm blessed for that. So I, was able to still have that relationship with them. Obviously not the relationship that I desired, but it's helped a lot in my recovery today still to be able to um, continue on that. But yeah, I lived on, I never got in trouble with the law until I left. And then I started racking up charges and started dating somebody that um was running from the feds so that was fun well that's that makes for a fun and exciting relationship yeah it's fun getting caught by those feds it's it's fun (laughs) when everything you do you have to look over your shoulder that that is the definition of fun right there that sounds like the definition of survival yeah i do not miss it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm guessing that's a hard lifestyle although we make excuses to ourselves that it's fine but Looking back on it, no, that's not fine. There's nothing about that that's fine. Okay. So, yeah, during living on the streets, I... You're using this whole time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, More and more, you know, and... How are you getting money? um, Dillers. So, and so I had the the dealer that I moved, you know, to live with, and then I had the guy that was in and out of federal prison. So, and then sadly to say, my mom passed away during um, that time and I got some inheritance money. Oh shoot, an addict on the run with cash. Yeah, and you know what, and it took me till just barely like a month ago, I wrote a men's um, letter to money because I felt really guilty because I spent, it was a lot of money and I spent it on crap, right? But it also saved me, I think, from doing other things. Um, it kept me, even though, I know right. that sounds it's, funny. I get what you're saying. You're saying it without saying it. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? I, it really did. It saved me and I didn't, I was still able to eat, get, get my, you know, drugs and stuff like that without, um, doing more criminal Harm, involvement or harm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I did do a lot of criminal stuff. I'm not like trying to act like I'm this innocent over here because I'm not. It's weird how drugs and criminal stuff goes hand in hand, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> eventually, crazy. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I just kept racking up charges. And what was scaring me, though, is um, the more and more that I would do, and my values were changing, and and who I was as a woman who I wanted to be just kept disappearing. And I remember so many times looking in the mirror and not knowing, like, I remember just screaming at myself, like, who are you? What is going on? So powerful. And I take that every day because I do not leave the house without staring at myself in my, in the mirror, into my soul and recognizing who I am today versus who I was then. Yeah. I, I, I want to point out something you said. My values were changing. I'm not sure that happens that often. I think we bury them and we 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 shove them down amidst this haze of drugs and alcohol, but our values kind of stay there. They just get hidden for a second or a year or a decade or whatever it is, but they're there. They're there. You don't have to relearn your values when you get clean and sober. They're still there, right? Mm-hmm. You just lose them. They're not accessible to you. Mm-hmm. 
one of the things that I do uh, when I give lectures is I talk a little bit about what happens in the brain when when addicts become addicted and the midbrain sort of takes over and shuts down your frontal cortex, which is where your values are. Your, your values are in your frontal cortex. And when you're not using your frontal cortex that much, there doesn't mean they've gone. They're still there. You just can't find them. You just can't access them because your midbrain's trying to keep you alive mm. instead of the higher functions that your brain can do, which is values and morals and judgments and all of those sorts of things. Those kind of get shut down and we just, go into survival mode that's so true and and unfortunately our brains convince us that drugs equal survival which they don't but our midbrain thinks they do mm-hmm. it's so, so crazy yeah it's nuts mm-hmm. you know it's interesting working as an intake guy and a marketing guy and wanting to break into counseling right that's what i'm going to school for right. a common theme i always hear is watching the light come back into their mm-hmm. eyes And I think that's what we're talking about here, right? Like we're talking about, you have these morals, you have these values, these principles that that you believe in that are ingrained in you and you lose them when you are making, well, an active addiction, right? Right, It overpowers the brain. So you're not really making decisions like you're, you're in survival mode. Right. But when you get into recovery, a beautiful, beautiful thing happens. And that's, I hear that all the time, watching the light come back into people's eyes. And that's what it makes me think of is when they reconnect with those morals and values and the things that are innately them, like who, who's really that person. Who we really are. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. Keep going. Okay. Where were we? Um, well, you're, lo- you're lost and you don't have values and you're screaming at yourself in the mirror. Screaming. Is that what led to your recovery and what did it look like? Did you go to a place? Did you just so, do meetings? Actually, before I walked in here, I was trying to think of a really horrible time before I got sober. And I use this a lot when I'm praying or just need a reflection. And it was, I was sitting outside of an old apartment building. Um, I just got sexually assaulted for the, you know, third time. Um, I was raped twice on the streets, brutally raped. And so, and I... (sighs) I'm not trying to focus on that, but I like to say that because a lot this happens it's real. all the time and I'm still sitting here. Okay. Like, you know, it's done imp- some. It's important. You can say that though. I think that's important because people don't want that known. She's so brave. Right. I, that's what I'm saying is I think that, and that helps a lot of other people who are sitting there with a story that's at least similar. Yeah. Right? I want women to it's know important. that they can come back still, from that. Yeah. Still live, they can still, still be lo- loved, right. you know? Right. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, I was sitting out there, I remember, and I was writing um, a letter to my family. I wrote it a whole bunch of times because I kept praying. I'm a, I'm huge on prayer. And I kept praying to fi- help me find a way out because, I, again, I wasn't dying, right? So, um, and I you suck at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm great at living. See? Oh, I love that. <laughs> so, kept writing this letter and I just had this huge shot of heroin, um, debating if I was going to try to end my life again. And I didn't have shoes. I was hungry. Um, so lost and it just clicked that, okay, get this letter to your family. And I happened to get it over to, so I have two dads. I have a stepdad and a dad. They're both that great dad figures to me and, um, I ended up delivering it to him in Salt Lake and he 
said that he would come and get me to talk to me about it. And I didn't know that that was going to be the day, May 30th, 2017. I didn't know that was going to be the day. So I hid, you know, my drugs in the bush before he came and got me and, um, and left my clothing, what clothing I had. And he came and picked me up and he's like, okay, if you're serious, we're doing it right now. And I was like, okay, but do I get to go to treatment again? Do I get to like get on Suboxone? He's like, nope. You're just going in that room and you're going to detox. It's so, it. Wow. And I did it. Whoa. Just cold turkey. Cold turkey. A okay. lot of hot baths. Okay. I love that. <laughs> I do. It's, do the- it's doable, right? This is what keeps people going in addiction is they're so afraid of how they're going to feel when they stop. And uh, so, so they keep going. Even when it's not serving them anymore, people keep going because they're afraid of how they're going to feel. Mm-hmm, and, scary. and here you sit as a testimony to, listen, I'll, I'll bet it was terrible. It was yeah, very terrible. I don't think it was fun, but it's doable. Mm-hmm. We can do some terrible things. It's not really more terrible than screaming at yourself in a mirror. Who, who are you? And Just physical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the detoxing. Hey, good. So you detoxed so, in yeah. a room, sweating it out and sweating taking a lot of hot out. baths. Um, you know, wanting to run. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My brain kept telling me Absolutely. to meet someone at the gas station down the street or. Because you'll feel instantly better when you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple times that I actually, my family doesn't know this, but they will know that I text somebody to meet me down at the gas station. And I am not kidding you. Every time I'd get up to go get the substance, I would get very, very sick and I couldn't make it. Yes. God was taking care yes, of me right then because I couldn't have done it. He takes care of you with nausea. Mm-hmm. That's nausea interesting a lot more. Yeah, well, That's sure. <laughs> let's, <laughs> not, let's not go there. <laughs> so, and then my, I had my very spiritual awakening, I would say, during that detox that mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for. My mom, like I said, passed and she, I would feel her my whole entire time that, um, I was using. And that night, I think I was three or four days into the detox and I felt her come in to my room Mm. and I let her know that I was going to do it this time and that she didn't need to like sit and protect me all the time, you know, and be with me. And, um, and then I felt her leave and my, so my brother's the good kid, right? And my brother, would always, when I was using, he would say, I hate that mom has to look out for you. I haven't felt her and all this stuff. And then he felt her after I let her go and I was doing well. It was, it was amazing. Interesting. Amazing. Yeah. And there, Hey, there's some, there's definitely some energy there. I totally believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. It, it was beautiful. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. And I just, you know, kept going. I didn't go to treatment, but I had a lot of You had been to treatment before this though, right? Yes. I have finished one program when I was younger. What was that program? It was... Don't worry about it. Highland Ridge. Thank you. Oh, Highland Ridge. Yeah. 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 And I also went to Journeys for a couple days, but then... I was just going to say, she said, I finished one program. I I heard (laughs) that. No, I heard that. So, uh, yeah. How many total did you... Oh, I've only been to a couple Journeys and yeah. Okay. You're not like, uh, what's that famous actor that... Can, he's always in, in and under rehab. Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. You, you, you weren't pulling a Robert Downey Jr.? 
No, but you know what? Treatment's awesome. I have a lot of friends that go through, that have been through treatment centers and they are very knowledgeable and have all this work that they've done that I'm kind of have the, you know, missing out syndrome. I'm like, ah, how come I didn't get to go there and learn that? But and you've, that's a great you've point. You've done a lot of work though. I was just going <laughs> to say, that's a great point. And, and we love treatment centers, but that's not your story. It's right? not my you're, story. You're, so you go from detoxing in your room, feeling your mom, right? The presence of your mom, mm -hmm. letting her know you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Do you just wake up the next day and you're off to the races or take us, how'd you rebuild your life back? So I joined felony drug court because I did not want to go to prison, you know, and I was two months sober. Weird, huh? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was two months sober and that was a great um, support and accountability, you know, drug testing me that really kept me sober and going. Right. Um, and then I started bonding with my kids and just my family really stepped up and started giving me um, all these chan chances for adventures and connection, right? What I was craving. Right. Yeah. And they still like, I'm blessed with a wonderful family. I get to do a lot of fun things and that's really what keeps me going. The major thing that has changed in my recovery is that I have found who I am and I'm okay standing or sitting here as an independent woman. I never had that again, going back to three, clinging on to a mom or a dad or family, um, and then boyfriends or the popular girls, right? And all that. And then my ex-husband and then even my kids, they're a very important part of my life. I love them so much, but I have to love myself too, you know, or first or cause I can't love them. So I sit here independent and confident and I love just to love who I am today. So I'm okay if people come in and out of my life, even though it's sad sometimes, but I'm still going to be sitting here. Okay. And not wanting to stick a needle in my arm over it. Yeah, listen, you've been to treatment. <laughs> she already knew the things yeah, she needed no, to you, do. Yeah, you're not missing anything. You, you have done enough work that your treatment isn't going to teach you anything at this point for sure. Like, it's a lot of work you've done on yourself and on kind of understanding your story. And it for sure shows. Thank you. One yeah, thing I was going to point out. Great. Yeah, that I love that she said is from three, she felt this kind of hole or this empty void, right? The, the bottomless pit, we'll call it. But the thing that changed for you is when you decided to love yourself first, it just reminds me when, when you go on a plane flight, right? And they, they tell you before you take off, they, they say, listen, if anything happens and the masks drop, here's, what do they tell your, you? Here's your, oh yeah. Put your mask on, put your mask on your kids first or whatever. It's put, <laughs> put the mask on yourself. Oh no, first. sorry. You I just died. I just died <laughs> in a plane because I tried to put it on somebody else first and I died. Sorry. That's not what they tell you. They tell you to put it on yourself first. So yeah, they, they come on and they say, make sure you put the mask on yourself first before you put it on your kids or anybody else around you. And really that's just kind of a, you know, metaphor for what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You had to put your mask on first and love yourself before you could really en enjoy life, right? Have a sense of fulfillment and a sense of being enough before you could look in the mirror every morning and say, Tiffany, you are enough, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. That's, that's then you got golden then, little nugget. I then she it. has the strength to give back to other people. Right? Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. How'd you get involved in that in the giving back to other people? I've always had that giving heart. Um, since I was younger too, and just, I started volunteering for different organizations. You know, I, right now I volunteer for, or with Soap to Hope, 
I don't know if you guys have heard of Soap to I Hope. I have, yeah. I haven't. Educate me. So we go out um, under the city lights and help women, men, and teenagers that have been solicited for sex. And, you know, and we get to connect with them at a different level. Just we give them resources. It started out with a hygiene bag and and little notes in there with affirmations. And then and now it's developed into getting people into treatment, um, giving them cell phones to stay connected with the, their community or treatment. Loved ones, people that are going to help them. How did mm-hmm. you get involved? Like, how did and that how happen? Long, yeah. And how long has been around? Sorry. So You're it's right. been a nonprofit for a little over a year. And I am good friends with the founder, January Riggins. And she just invited me out one night and it's That's cool. Mm-hmm, and I fell in love with it. Awesome. We got to try to get her on the podcast. That, I love that concept. That's so cool. She's yeah, amazing. It is, it is a cool mm-hmm. That is that. Really, I'll hook you up. You know, it, it, <laughs> hey, we got a hookup. We got a hookup. Just put January on notice. She's coming on the podcast if she'll agree. It's cool to me that there's people out there like her, you know, there's so many people out there that start nonprofits that just have huge hearts, right? Mm-hmm. True blue personalities, uh, look that up. like Tiffany here. Yeah, that's, that's way cool. So you've yeah. been involved with that since the, the start. Well, she started doing it before it was a nonprofit, but yes, since it's, um, became a nonprofit, I started last year. So yeah. And then just doing different things with young people in recovery. There's BAM, Addicted We Stand, you know, just volunteering wherever I could and asking how I can be of service. There's another big point right there. Well, it's a huge point. And she's such a great example of it. Like, listen to these organizations she's involved with. It's cool. Yeah, I'm very blessed that I get to just get to live this life. And you know what? This is my huge thing. I believe that you get to design how your recovery wants to look. Yes, you do. Thank you. And so, and and my recovery looks a lot different than my closest friends or even my coworkers or anything like that. And that's okay. And so I take, you know, suggestions and then, and try them out. And then if it doesn't work for me, then I try something else. And also the way I do recovery today might not be the way I do it next year or in 10 years. It can change and you can switch it up. It doesn't need to be this certain way that you have to stick to or you're not going to succeed. Like that was really scary for me when I got um, into recovery and I was told by, you know, amazing people that were living life great, but they're told that you need to do it this way. And, or you're going to fail. That was really scary to me. I'm like, oh no, then I have to do it perfect. Or if I don't do it this way, if I don't, you know, then I'm not going to see, that's not the case. I've done things totally different. And, um, I've taken, you know, done some of the stuff that they've done, but I've just made my own pathway. And it's like right now, my pathway is service and spirituality. You know, I love going to church. I love worshiping and praying and all that stuff. And I love digging deep in, um, service work. So, but who knows next year it might be something else and that's okay. Important point. What well, you know, we come from a tradition of there's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Like you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this and you have to do these 12 things and then you have to do, uh, I think that's a great theme of this podcast. Like recovery can be designed by you with some help. I hope, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, I get it. Like my brain wasn't going to get me clean and sober at one point in my life for sure. My brain got me there. It wasn't going to get me out. So I had to listen to other people, but maybe try to find other people that don't say there's only one way to do it. Cause there might be a way that works better for you than that one way. 
And if it does, if it works better for you, then you're going to have a greater chance of success with it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I definitely have surrounded myself with um, strong women that have let me just be me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I always find women and men that have something that I want and I learn from them. And it might, I might not like everything that they do, but they have at least one or two couple, you know, a couple things that I want from them. So I'll hang out with them and learn that and then take that into my own life and just be who I am. Right. Again, sure. it goes back from not knowing who you are and trying to be fit into everybody else. I just want to be me. Yeah. Awesome. And isn't it a cool moment when you see somebody, right? Like, look, I, I'm just going to come clean with it. This podcast, I, I was kind of doing some, uh, promo podcast before this really just uh like recording in a buddy's attic in his business but i i was we were on the same podcast casey scott's podcast uh project recovery mm -hmm. and and you talked about you see people with things that you like and and you identify that you kind of want that i got to give those guys credit because when i went in the way that they ran it the way they did their studio the way you know they do a fantastic job and am i knocking it off i don't think so but i think that i I respected what they were doing and something inside of me went, this is the way to do it. Like, this is awesome. So it's cool that you find that in other people. Mm -hmm. I can totally relate. Yeah. Awesome. So what else are you doing now? Oh, I'm done Christmas shopping. I can add that. Hooray. Oh, That's the first. I'm not ready for Christmas. I am so relieved that really? I am done. I've never had it under control like this and I'm done. Oh, it was easy. That's not controlled to me. Like <laughs> I, I'm the most awesome. You're going to be shocked at this. I'm the most awesome Christmas Eve shopper ever. <laughs> I'm so efficient, but so, I wait until like, you know, I wait until like an hour before the mall closes and then I just feel guilty. So I go buy everybody like a million presents and then I, I'm good. So. Does that so surprise you, Tiffany? Yeah. Uh, not after him show. being. <laughs> that's kind of who I am right there. I love it. That's why you're sitting over here so peaceful, though, is you got all your Christmas shopping done. Yeah. That's why she's got sure. that peace going on. Well, she's, yep. got, she's got some stuff in her life that's going well, I think. That's good. Yeah, I just feel every year it gets better and better, you know, yeah. even during the holiday season. It's definitely been hard in the past, but now it's, I have to sit here, yeah, in peace. Yeah. So. That's awesome. awesome. Tiffany, you're such a great example to people. If you guys are listening to this and you want to, you want to contribute without having to spend a dime, comment, like, share, you can go to any major podcast platform. Give us a review. We appreciate it. All the support. Thank you guys. Thank you, Tiffany, Thank for you, coming on. Guys. You are amazing. Thanks. Great Happy, holidays. Great God bless. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from... A podcast studio.